0: Hey guys, if you want updates on our latest episodes, then be sure to subscribe to the Film Colossus podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, if you'd like to support the show and hear episodes ad-free, then subscribe to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash filmcolossus.
1: BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, And starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.
0: My name is Chris Lambert. And my name is Travis Bean. And on today's episode, we discuss the deeper meaning of the behemoth known as Oppenheimer. As two people who aren't huge fans of Christopher Nolan, our discussion involves our fraught history with this films and what we believe holds Oppenheimer back.
1: Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer. Don't,
0: don't, don't say it three times.
1: No,
0: oh, 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 Beetlejuice, Gosh. right? Don't need to Beetlejuice. Yeah, you don't want to make, uh, not that it won't make an atomic bomb go off, but one will appear, you know, wherever you are,
1: which would be frightening.
0: Yeah, it just sits there like it's it's defunct, but like it's annoying. Like you saw the one in Oppenheimer, it's huge. Yeah, if I had to maneuver around that all the time, (laughs) like you wouldn't be able to get it out of your
1: house. It would just be a permanent fixture. No, it would not fit through the door. (laughs) (laughs) You couldn't even move it an inch. Uh, I'd get strong, try to
0: lift it, still couldn't. Yeah, yeah, um, but no, you'd just forever be like robert oppenheimer slash killian murphy and wandering around listlessly thinking of what your life could have been
1: if i just didn't have this atomic bomb in my house yeah
0: i mean it would pretty much consume you from that point forward like it would be all you think about i get why you'd have to explain it to everybody yeah hey can we come over for a dinner
1: party no <laughs> i have an atomic if bomb you want to eat house. on my atomic bomb yeah I feel like the government would take interest in me.
0: Yeah, your life would change. <laughs> Not for
1: the better. Not for the better, which, you know, we see happen in this movie about J. Mm-hmm. Robert
0: Oppenheimer, directed by Christopher Nolan. Yep. Uh, that's the guy. That's Mr. Nolan himself <laughs> coming, coming around the bend. Uh, I wonder if he'd visit me. <laughs> How many years has it been since Tenet? It's like only been a couple years, right? It's been, yeah, Tenet was 20, no, Tenet was 2020. Okay. That that seems about right for him. Like every three years we get a Nolan venture. Yeah, Dunkirk
1: was what year? Oh, Tenet's 2020.
0: Yeah, Dunkirk was 2017 and Interstellar was 2014. Oh, wow. (laughs) wow interstellar that I, I in my mind interstellar came out like forever ago but that's not that long ago nine years then uh yeah wait memento
1: is 2000 have you seen yeah. every christopher nolan movie
0: i have i, I sure have. have i i've only seen uh following once though uh probably like you know 13 years ago i've never seen following yeah i um it's got quite the following i think uh criterion might might have a release for following i don't i'm not sure but they had some write-up about it on their blog i
1: remember it was just a big deal because it premiered at uh slam dance Mm. so slam dance is always like christopher nolan's one of ours
0: yeah yeah good for them that's what was the other movie i saw that premiered at slam dance Th- oh, there will be blood. I saw, did. Wait, really? Yeah, and like September before it was released in December in like twelve theaters, which <laughs> I was a part of. Um, it released at Slim Dance. That's pretty insane. Yeah, isn't it? Or. Er- slam dance is that the one no 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 not slam dance what's the fantastic, fantastic, fest. fantastic? Fant- yeah. my bad my bad
1: yeah oh yeah very different very different sizes <laughs> yeah no slammed it. that would be pretty crazy yeah you said september i was like wait a second <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh yeah fantastic fest makes sense
0: um that would have been a, a huge get for them one of their secret yeah. screenings i mean yeah fantastic fest is bigger than slam dance but that that seems really big for them Yeah, no, 1,000%.
1: I think, especially because they tend to be so much more genre-oriented. Yeah. Uh, They're getting something that's so dramatic. It's got its uh, horror moments. (laughs) It does. Same with, you know, actually uh, Oppenheimer had me thinking about There Will Be Blood quite a bit. Oh, okay. Uh, Specifically because Killian Murphy felt like he was channeling Daniel Hmm. uh, Day-Lewis, his performance of Daniel Plainview. Just his speech pattern and how he was saying things had Mm -hmm. that same kind of Daniel Plainview delivery about it. And they have a similar body type. They were dressed kind of the same uh, in terms of high pants (laughs) and suspenders. And a hat. And a hat. So there was a, a decent amount of... There will be blood. Even like the Los Alamos part, they're building this town in the middle of nowhere. And yeah. you see the same thing kind of happen and there will be blood. A town builds up around the the
0: oil derrick. Plus, you know, Daniel Plainview is an intense woman's man. You know, a womanizer. Oh, of course, of course. Everybody associates Daniel Plainview <laughs> with his... Always trying to get with some woman. Yeah,
1: that was his focus throughout that movie. Yeah, it was distracting, honestly. I know. Just focus on the oil. Jeez. Ugh. Talk about greed in America already. <laughs> Why aren't you focused <laughs> on that at all? Uh, So, okay, were you excited for Oppenheimer? Or was it one that puts uh, your relationship with Nolan's movies? You've seen all of them. Is that out yep. of a, an enjoyment for Nolan, or
0: is that just... It's uh, It's honestly a mixed bag, like... People really, really love him. That's the way I've always, like, I felt kind of out of place in the Nolan-verse. Like, people either really love him or really hate him. Uh, Although I think the crowd that hates him, like, isn't as big. I'm mostly just thinking of people I know, maybe. (laughs) But I've always kind of felt like, like, he's not necessarily my kind of director uh, visually. Like, the way he visually approaches his subjects and the way he explores what's going on with them. Like I've never, like, I don't think a lot of his movies are bad, but I've never been a fan of movies like Memento or Insomnia um, or Interstellar. And then, or I would say more Dunkirk. And then there are movies I flat out don't like like Interstellar and the dark Knight rises. Um, I've never understood this prestige either, but I've just been in this middle ground where like, it's not for me, but like, it's not objectively bad or anything. Um, he's just like not in the region I'm looking for, like the kind of movie the kind of approach the visual storytelling that moves me. W- we can get into more what I mean by that specifically as we talk about Oppenheimer. Um, so I, I, I it, it's, it's kind of weird. Like I don't mind watching his movies and sometimes really enjoy it. Like I really like Batman begins. Um, I really enjoy Tenet and inception. I think inception actually is incredible. Um, for reasons outside of uh what we'll talk about with Oppenheimer <laughs> but yeah so like my relationship has been kind of like in flux in that way like sometimes i like it sometimes i really hate it for the most part i'm sort of indifferent towards it
1: i've been in a a similar boat i remember when batman begins came out that was the first nolan movie i watched i had it i had it caught memento missed insomnia so batman begins i remember just kind of being in love with when it came out especially oh, yeah. nice. since i had it liked um <laughs> batman and robin was it oh
0: you're breaking my heart chris i never remember which is the fourth one and which is the third one the uh, batman and robin is the fourth one
1: okay yeah i know you love it but i i love
0: all of the ninety but 90s batman movies
1: yeah, I did not. So seeing Batman Begins, I was just like, this is what it could be. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, I did enjoyed Batman Begins. And it was so many good things in it. And then when The Prestige came out, I was, I was the person running around being like, have you seen The Prestige? Have you seen The Prestige? Oh, my God. Christopher Nolan, The Prestige, The Prestige, I mean, The Prestige. Yeah.
0: 2006, that was the year I started college, and like every... Freshman boy on my dorm room floor loved Prestige. You know, I I hadn't seen it back then, but like it was that kind of movie. Yeah, it it definitely
1: had its moments. And then, oh, it was Prestige and The Illusionist coming out at the same time. Oh yeah, of course. I didn't see The Illusionist until a couple years later, and I think I kind of liked it better. um, Oh wow, in hindsight. But I have to rewatch them. The Dark Knight, then I really had loved as well. Oh yeah, it was just like Nolan can't miss. And then Inception was the same thing. I was there opening night. I saw it like three times in the first weekend because I went and saw it by myself. Then went and took my mom to see it and then went with friends to see it. I was like, you have to see this movie. I'm just staring at everybody. It was a
0: moment like for theaters and stuff. I remember going to see it.
1: Oh, yeah. It was huge. And I was so excited to see people react to the top at the end. Instead of watching the screen, I'm watching them just watching their faces like no 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 uh but that was the that was the last time i enjoyed a nolan movie (laughs) so it's been 13 years and dark knight rises i thought was actively stupid Uh, and started to show the worst qualities of nolan in that he's The thing that bothers me the most, and this is why I'm most excited to do this podcast episode because I just have wanted to talk about this one thing that Nolan does that (laughs) infuriates me. It's not objectively bad or anything. It's not... It's just he crosscuts under this pulsing building score that makes you feel like something significant is happening because of the energy of the crosscut, because of the score. And usually it's when just very boring things are happening, but yeah. because he's cutting between like two to three different storylines or characters doing things, and it's all feeling like it's coming together. It has this manipulating effect of feeling more momentous. This is momentous. Yeah. yeah than it actually is. And he's really a master at what is going to cause an audience to pop in wrestling. Whenever a wrestler in a match does something that's like a big move or something it's like it, it's designed to get a pop from the crowd like you know you're going to get the audience to react and I think Nolan is so good at doing these little setups and payoffs that have people being like oh yeah that's the stuff that was just so well done like perfectly timed uh, there's two moments in Oppenheimer specifically that are some of people's favorite moments in the movie, and I get why, but I feel so nakedly manipulated by them that yeah. I hate them. So it's it, Dark Knight Rises, I think, was the first time I really noticed him do it as a crutch. Like Inception, he's doing it really well, and I think it's the perfect. It's Nolan at his finest. I agree. But then Dark Knight Rises is him phoning it in, because at that point he didn't care, right? and doing... Is these, that true? I think it's true. I don't oh, know okay. if it's true or not. Maybe he really still cared, but uh, there's that one scene where Bane robs a bank, and they go running out, and it's, like, broad daylight, and then when Batman goes chasing him on his motorcycle, it's nighttime. You're like, was he? What happened yeah. here? Well, it was dusk. It Was, was it dusk? I don't, know. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's it, but it's, it's still such a... Like, what? But... Ah... I noticed it with Interstellar too, and Interstellar also did a lot of manipulative things that didn't sit well with me that I was really, like, angry at it. Same thing with mm-hmm. Dunkirk. Same thing with
0: Tenet, not so much. Tenet,
1: I just didn't Tenant does was...
0: feel like a different movie for him. Yeah. Which it, we'll talk about. Like, I, the reason I think Inception and Tenet really work is largely absent and a lot of the other movies I think don't work including Oppenheimer
1: I think I just expected more from Tenet where Tenet is like mostly it didn't annoy me the same way that Interstellar and Dunkirk did I just didn't love it the way that I loved Inception or The Prestige or Dark Knight Batman Begins um and then yeah Oppenheimer is another where I think I'm angrier at the response to
0: Oppenheimer than I <laughs> Chris, am. Chris, this is my life. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm constantly like, I, I don't even hate a movie for like the way it is. Like I end up not liking a movie because I'm just so pissed at the way everybody's like talking about it and renouncing it and everything.
1: Well, yeah. I The new Twitter account that I've been using, I follow all these film critics. Yeah. And so the timeline's just full of people really, like, trying to deliver on, like, uh, not just, like, a viral tweet, but really, and I don't want to say performative in a bad way, but it's just like, you know, they know that they have an audience, they're speaking to the audience, to the crowd about the movie, but it just feels like there's so much hyperbole in a lot of it of like this is a masterpiece where Mm. the last look is the most existential and haunting thing I've ever seen on a cinema screen like okay
0: yeah so like maybe that explains partly why like I don't necessarily hate Oppenheimer or anything and maybe if I was more clued into the way people are reacting to it I could be but like I'm largely removed from social media at this point and I I honestly couldn't tell you like what it's rotten tomato score is. I'm sure it's high, but like, I have no concept of it anymore. Like I'm just, I'm just here to watch Oppenheimer and judge it accordingly.
1: That's good. That's good. You, you also did not enjoy it. I'm guessing.
0: Um, it's, it's in line with what I said earlier. It's not my kind of movie. Like, I don't think it's bad. Um, but I think it's a huge letdown from what he did in Tenet. like, I guess getting into it now, like the things I think really work here. What I think doesn't work in a Nolan movie is when he becomes a little too consumed with the person. Like when he's really trying to explore the internal landscape in a literal sense, like it's just a lot of like talking and and, and like you're describing, like, even though you see it as a fault, like I would say one of his strengths is the fact that he's able to make boring things appear exciting. Um, I And I only say strength because like, it's better than just like watching people talk monotonously for minutes on end and like nothing to be happening. Like, okay, at least he's like doing something. I don't necessarily care for that kind of filmmaking, but like, I see how it works and I see how that gets people, you know, like jazz when they're watching it. So like, I think that's a good thing but because he spends so much time in that arena and because he does again, very literal things like when the screen shakes, when Oppenheimer's being questioned by the guy, you know, um, or when he's giving the speech to everybody and they're stopping their feet and it makes him think of like the bottom, like he, Nolan's being so literal there with his imagery and like showing like the, the blinding light and the, the shaking room and the people's skin coming off. It's such a, it's such a obvious choice or like when uh what's Florence Pugh's character?
1: Uh Tatlock?
0: Yeah like when they're having sex in front of Kitty you know and she's imagining it like it's so obvious which yeah. like again not my favorite kind of thing but like I get why it works it's just a little bit too much of that throughout a lot of his movies to me Um, like I don't know why he loves boring conversations so <laughs> much <laughs> it's so ever present in his movies, uh, but people like it, and he's got good actors, so like whatever, it's it's not unbearable or anything. But I I think what makes something like Inception and Tenet thrive is like that's not really the focus in those movies. Like he's more focused on this insane world he's invented and explaining. Well, in an Inception's case, explaining all the rules and Tenet he. I feel like he doesn't explain all the rules. <laughs> like there are moments where he pretends to explain the rules, but then just like leaves out like all this bits of information that would make it make way more sense. Like to me, like that's his wheelhouse. Like that's when all of that stuff maneuvering around the characters tells me so much more about the characters than the kind of stuff he's doing in Oppenheimer. You know, like I don't think I'm really getting the know Oppenheimer by just watching him talk to a bunch of people. Like I, I need more it doesn't feel intrusive to me, I guess. Like, I'm just like, I'm just watching it. Like, it's just a glorified history retelling, like a reenactment or something. It, it And in that sense, like, I'm like, I'm watching it. Like, I get it. It's cool that I'm learning all this stuff, but it's also just a little too plain for me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, there was a lot I think the thing so I was excited for this movie just because it seemed like it was going to be this epic event at scale like it seemed like something that if Nolan was going to rise to the occasion this Mm -hmm. would be the kind of thing that really could be his masterwork and maybe it's the thing that he I've been looking for from him. And then I was reading him talk about all the subjectivity he was going to bring into the movie and how there are black Mm -hmm. and white parts that were objective. And uh, he had written the script in the first person. So we're really getting into Oppenheimer's mind Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: seeing the world through his eyes. And it's funny that there was this hype about that. And then as you're saying... Do we really get to re- understand Oppenheimer as a character or as a person? He feels like such an empty vessel for so much of the movie.
0: Yeah, I think we're kind of getting at the main problem is here here is that no one's ever never had a case like this where he is trying to unlock somebody so specific, like somebody really well known. Like El- like again, like movie like Inception. Leonardo DiCaprio's character is a vessel for this universal struggle. You know, the struggle with grief and trauma and understanding and being able to differentiate between like dream and reality. Like there are all of these like universal truths happening in that movie. Whereas this this to me falls in line with a lot of what of his other movies are, like why I personally have never loved something like The Dark Knight. Because like it's it is making societal observations, but they aren't they don't feel overbearing in the way like Inception is. It feels more aligned with Oppenheimer, where like, I'm just kind of getting to know like one person or one aspect of something instead of being catapulted into something and having navigate like all of these rules and ideas surrounding a person uh, feeling engulfed by all of it. Like instead, like, I think the main plight of this movie is like to just happened like it, it's all built to the end of like how do you see it Oppenheimer like how do we remember people like this like what history do we trust um there are these bigger questions that like are only kind of really brought in at the very end and before that like we're literally just learning about a guy like it feels as simple and straightforward as that to me
1: yeah I I mean the first hour and a half of the movie I don't know if it's Really, I mean, we're establishing some of the the governmental aspects, the tension between... I mean, government is such a big theme in this and the way in which Oppenheimer was appealing towards these uh, leftist politics, but then falls in line to the U.S. government and we see the way in which the U.S. government ends up tearing him apart. Like, seeds are being planted. So I don't want to say the first hour and a half is not doing anything but i saw somebody say that the movie's like reading a wikipedia article Mm. and that kind of (laughs) it is felt right to me except the point that they made was if you actually read the oppenheimer wikipedia entry it's a lot more interesting (laughs) than the movie because you learn so much more about the idiosyncrasies of Oppenheimer and the way in which he liked to hold court and his personality and the magnetic nature and I think Killian Murphy did a great job in the role it's just I don't think Nolan's script gave him enough to do I don't think he gave anybody enough to do aside from Robert Downey Jr I think Robert Downey (sighs) is the only one that had meaningful scenes that he could really like dive into um,
0: and a character arc (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's odd like I feel like that's the tension of the movie is that like it's ostensibly this deep character study but like I I guess uh, one main thing I I couldn't get around was like I feel like the dilemma presented surrounding oppenheimer and the way we're supposed to feel about him and then what the u- movie's ultimate question is like it's the the question at least of people leaving the theater like it's kind of set up immediately <laughs> like we're immediately supposed to like kind of question like the nature of his character and the decisions he makes and like is this the kind of guy you can trust like is this the kind of guy that um will go down in history as like misremembered or like is somebody who like was this kind of guy and invented something terrible. Like it's just that question throughout and the question you're left with at the end. And that's a that's a I actually a great formula, a great structure for a movie, but it's a three hour movie. Like and for three hours, like I'm not sure how much that question gains complexity. Um it's like I guess it all just again feel if it, it feels inherent to me like that dilemma and I don't know if Nolan is the kind of filmmaker that can bring enough pizzazz and like interesting visual moments to give that question the kind of complexity he's looking for again like the only moments it really happens are like when the room shakes or when Katie sees uh tatlock like it's It's just all this stuff. I'm like, yeah, I I get it. Like, I know what you're doing. Like, I see, like, what you're going for. But it's not like, I guess this is purely subjective. It's just not shaking me enough to care about that overbearing question more.
1: No, the movie seems to essentially make Oppenheimer pretty sympathetic in the way in which, okay, he had fears about the Nazis, went into this project, and then felt compelled to complete it even when he had doubts and questions because he's swept up in things. But look, he spent the remainder of his life fighting against it, and the government squashed him from daring to stand up. And the like. Nolan seems to make a pretty clear case to me about see, is it Oppenheimer a mm-hmm. little more positive than negative? Don't you think? And I do like that there are themes of chain reactions, and then you have, in that final conversation with Einstein the the water droplets hitting the the pond mm-hmm. or the rain hitting the pond causing these chain reaction ripple effects so that's a nice i think it's the one moment of pure <laughs> uh it's visual yeah that it, i can point to and be like see that's a little
0: more subtle um man i was about to say like i don't think it's subtle at all like it it it, it would subtle I feel like of somebody else but there's something about the way like Nolan chooses to make little connections like that that feel like oh my god I get it <laughs> <laughs> like it's maybe it's even just the way he shoots it like he has this fair, and this is just something that, again, where I'm just mostly focused on the visual nature of Nolan like there's something about the way he shoots movies that just doesn't speak to me at all there's almost like a cold detachment about the way he just frames everything the same way Uh, it's a big part of why I can't get in the mementos just the way it's shot it feels just so obvious and plain to me in a way like I can't it's weirdly like unique to Nolan and something I hope no other filmmaker adopts as like a way of shooting a movie (laughs) which is fascinating because
1: his cinematographer for his last few projects is Hoyt Van Hoytema Mm -hmm. and this guy did Oppenheimer, Tenet, Dunkirk, Interstellar, uh, but he did Nope, which Nope was dope in terms of its yeah visuals. Ad Astra was also incredibly beautiful. Yeah, that was awesome. And her, and her yeah. has incredible, incredible cinematography. And then Tinker, Taylor, Soldier, Spy was also I thought it's a lot more Nolan-y and it's like distance and coldness. But I thought that was a very has visually compelling movie. Yeah. So it's not like the cinematographer in question that Nolan's working with is incapable of going play. I would say like most of the shots in her are better than <sighs> most everything in Nolan's filmography.
0: I mean, I'm sure there's somebody out there that could point to all of the technical things Nolan does at a movie that I wouldn't notice and don't understand, like the lighting and just like the way people are populated around a scene or something, which I'm sure is true. Um I guess it maybe this is just speaking to more my taste and like what I'm looking for in a movie. Like I really want something to pop. Like I really want something to kind of shake me and like make me think about something or make me look at something and speak to like what the larger themes and ideas are and like I just feel like Nolan is constantly not doing that and the moment I know he is doing it it's like the raindrops where I'm like yeah okay I, I get it <laughs> like yeah I don't know there's something like he never finds the right amount of subtlety mix of subtlety and just like flash that I'm looking for
1: well it was particularly jarring going from this to Barbie in the same day <laughs> with only an right. hour between them and just seeing the way in which Greta Gerwig has close-ups of things like there's a close-up of an eye or the close-up of um, Barbie's lips parting when she experiences what it's like to be human or hands touching. I feel like that's just an underutilized shot in Nolan's visual vocabulary is you yeah, don't see a do lot that. of these close-ups and it's not to say directors have to it's just... When I look at the vocabulary that other filmmakers are using in their visuals, whether it's Gerwig and Barbie or just you know uh, Villeneuve and Dune, and yeah. how much more texture and life there is, and I would say that Oppen- not Oppenheimer, but there's something similar between Nolan and David Fincher's more procedural yes, films, right? I don't think what uh, Fincher does in Zodiac is all that different from the aesthetic that's at the core of what Nolan does. But there's such a dramatic difference in the charge and the quality of the shots in Zodiac compared to any Nolan movie, where (laughs) I think what gives Nolan that sense of spectacle is often the actual thing that's being depicted being so extreme like not everybody gets to depict uh an atomic bomb going off not everybody gets to depict tenants and this reverse <laughs> uh entropy that's happening or inception and even going back and watching inception the big moments feel kind of small now that we're mm-hmm. so many years on the city folding is like 45 seconds of the movie yeah um or Limbo, when you look at limbo, it's really underdeveloped and cookie cutter that all the buildings are kind of the same and you do get this sense of this crazy epic limbo city, but it's never really explored in a meaningful way. And Interstellar, again, it's this big space graphics and you have the giant wave on the one planet, but that's kind of it. You have these moments that pop, but for the most part, I don't think what he does is visually interesting
0: yeah yeah the whole time you were talking about david fincher like i, I hurt my neck because i was nodding so much like <laughs> uh, because when i talked about that cult detachment i see in a Noah movie like fincher is instantly the other person i think of and zodiac is a great example where w- which i think is a weird style he's kind of gravitated towards like i would say something like fight club or seven like it's a little more electric But Mm -hmm. something like Zodiac feels more in line of what he's done lately, where there's like a stature to the way he's filming his scenes. Yet there is that kind of coldness. And a part of that is the filter he kind of has on this movie is like this, like pale blue grayish tone. But like that, everything I just said right there, like pale (laughs) grew grayish tone, like that's something like that's something that enlivens me. And I see it like even if I don't like the movie. Like, I'm not a fan of Gone Girl. Like, I have to recognize that, like, it has presence. Like, there is a visual voice there that's kind of commanding me and guiding me in a certain direction. And that I never really feel with Oppenheimer. Like by the movie's end, I'm I'm able to look back and be like, okay, I see what this movie's doing. I'm seeing the questions it's asking. But while the movie's going, I don't feel emotionally attached to any of those questions or ideas. I don't feel that the movie is visually exploring those ideas in a like connected way. Like I can go back and piece the moments together, like the raindrops. Um, but like while it's happening, I'm not like, I'm not moved. I'm looking to be moved, you know? Yeah. I think a lot of the the perceived
1: power of the Nolan movie is just in the cross-cutting and that sense of build. And then when you do have those moments of payoff it either makes the movie worth it or the scene worth it or you feel satisfied. Like I didn't think I thought the bomb drop was interesting, but I didn't think it was compelling.
0: I mean, I was I was blown away by that scene that it like that was what the movie was sold around. Like that was the reason I purchased an IMAX ticket was to see this bomb drop. And it's like a minute of the movie in a mo- three hour movie filled with talking. Like I was, I was really blown away. It, 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 even all the, uh, in, a the shots. Way, right? yeah, in a bad way. Yeah. In a bad way. Like it was cool, I guess. Um, uh, but it, it didn't have the part of the pun explosion I was really looking for. Like it didn't, even the scenes where it was like, you know, all the lights and particles and everything floating around. Like I saw people on Twitter talking about how amazing those scenes were. And they felt those scenes had the same cold detachment. I, I never respond to in Nolan movies. They just felt like another scene where people are talking to me. Like they didn't have like tenor and power and like illustriousness. Like there was nothing. They just kind of felt thrown in, <laughs> I guess. Like they didn't feel part of a build or part of a message. Uh, I guess maybe I'm just not watching these movies the way other people are watching them.
1: No, that disappointed me so much because when it first, like first 20 minutes of the movie, when we're seeing stuff like that, I was like, Oh, we're really going to like dive in and maybe we're going to get this internalization or see his view on these things throughout. Like it's going to be sparking. Maybe we're going to see like a dovetail of how he's viewing the world is in particles and, you know, how is this going to mess with the visuals of the film? And instead, it's just done in the most basic way possible of having these brief cutscenes or cuts to, like, physics. And they look cool, but they're so quick, they don't really add anything. We're not seeing the way in which he's putting together ideas or a concept in any way. It's just affectation Mm -hmm. or decoration. And I mean, you look at the tree of life and the tree of life has some similar things with its formation of the universe sequence.
0: Right. But it's comparing it to tree of life really points out how, (laughs) how limp this movie is.
1: Right. It's like so minor league. I mean, it looks good. Like it's, it looks good because it's expensive, but compare it to the sequence in tree of life. And there's so much more vitality and dynamics and heft to it rather than it just being a decoration. Yeah. I was really disappointed with how that went, especially that it didn't really dovetail with the, the bomb test. You mm-hmm. think that would have been a logical point to bring those things together and this vision that he's been having and the way in which it's now being realized. It just showed to me... I don't want to say that Nolan lacks vision, but I think Nolan lacks vision.
0: Well, it's just like all these things we're talking about, these should all be contributing towards understanding of Oppenheimer and what's plaguing him. And whatever's plaguing Oppenheimer should, it shouldn't just be a biopic where we learn about a guy. Like these questions should be then parallel in our own lives. Like Oppenheimer has to sit there and deal with the cognitive dissonance of creating a bomb and obviously like we can't relate to that specific thing but like that exaggerated example you can apply to any area of your life where you felt torn where you look back and wonder if like what you did was right or wrong um and you piece all the parts of your life together that led to this moment and like you think about your life more collectively like all that should be happening but this lack of visual presence that we're talking about that i again a lot of people seem to see in his movies but we don't like to me is what's holding me back it's it makes i mean to put it plainly i i just think his movies aren't fun <laughs> like they should be more fun in that sense not a, a movie about a bomb should be fun in quotes but it, thinking about like something as simple as like robert downey jr's turn in the movie you know uh, Strauss's yeah. turn where like you suddenly realize like oh he's kind kind of secretly a bad guy um it's done in this like very like I-, I keep going back to the cold detached thing like a cold detached way like you just like you just find out and that's it like it isn't done with like a sense of humor like a sense of fun like just suddenly this guy who's his aide suddenly like gives him sneering looks and smiles secretly when like he's taken down you know when hill takes him down like it's just like all this really obvious plain stuff that isn't part of the visual poetry of the movie in a way that i'm like i can't parallel things that are happening with oppenheimer and the events of this movie with myself and the world i live in like that's not where i go like the movie isn't shaking me to do that it's only afterwards when i think about it and when we're doing this podcast that i'm able to like see all those pieces i guess Um, which makes the movie feel like robotic to me in that way. Like I I wasn't shaken by it, I'm just like understanding it later technically. (laughs) There's so many things I wanna get
1: into with what you just (laughs) said. The first, and it's the, ah, okay. First, I just wanna point out the difference in the subjective, because people keep Mm -hmm. making a big deal of the subjectives and specifically as you're talking about the one scene of the speech in the aftermath Mm -hmm. of the Trinity test and everybody cheering, but he's seeing these horrible things, which seems to be the, the ultimate expression of this subjectivity that we see in the movie. It's that. And then when he's getting pressured Mm -hmm. uh, during the hearing, but then also weirdly what you said with Kitty seeing Gene Tatlock. uh, Yeah. Sleeping with him in the room. Why are we suddenly from her perspective? (laughs) It was weird. Or is it supposed to be that, Oppenheimer's thinking about his wife thinking about him sleeping with Jean it's Mm -hmm. strange that in a a movie that was so from his perspective that they break at that one point but the I've been very interested lately in the use of the subjective in film mostly due to tar and the Mm -hmm. way in which tar utilized that with the presence of a ghost in the movie and screams when she's out running that might not be there, like dogs in apartment complexes that might not be there. The way in which it walks the line between what we're seeing is real and what we're seeing is subjective through the main character having this nervous breakdown or this grief that's starting to cause her a degree of paranoia was very subtle and very fascinating. And it's something that I become very excited about more filmmakers exploring. And it's just again disappointing <laughs> to me how Nolan executes on it. But when you're talking about the the relatable themes, I think the theme that I find the most fascinating in this movie goes back to the um, oh, what is it? The Bhagavad uh, Bhagavad, and the story of Vishnu talking to Arjuna, and there's the famous quote from Oppenheimer. Like you know, took on its multi armed form. Now I become death, destroyer of worlds. And I researched that more deeply for the first time. And there's this cool dynamic in the fact that the story is about the fact that Arjuna is this prince that is supposed to lead his people into this war with these other people, uh, except he doesn't want to. It's just before the battle, and he sees in the enemy lines friends and family of his Mm -hmm. so it's not just these enemies it's people he knows and loves and he's more willing to go and give himself up and have that end the conflict than to actually engage in the conflict and his chariot driver is this god in disguise and starts lecturing him that no you need to do your duty it's your duty to lead this war and finally takes on the multi-armed form and is like hey this is me speaking now (laughs) like it's not your chariot driver i'm you know vishnu the god so Mm -hmm. i'm gonna tell you these things about why you need to do this as it relates to duty karma reincarnation the way in which gods work that it's not actually you doing the killing It's us decreeing that these things happen. And you're just the mechanism by which we're doing it. So you're not guilty. It's okay, but we need you to do this thing. And it's actually a good thing that you follow your duty and yada, yada, yada. And it goes on and on and on. And finally Arjuna is like, cool. Okay, got it. And goes and wins the battle. Um, But that sense of duty and the way in which I think people often apply that quote to thinking Oppenheimer. Was the one who had become death but really Oppenheimer's Arjuna the one that is bound by duty to do this thing and it's like the United States is the god that's making this demand and where Arjuna had faith in their god can we have the same faith in our country and in our government officials especially when Strauss is the embodiment of those officials. That's really cool to me but... Does the movie earn all of that aside from just making the reference?
0: Now, when it's a three-hour movie filled with people talking.
1: Yeah, like, <laughs> you really only get that idea of duty and the how much that weighed on him when Rob is yelling at him. And he's like, so if we had asked you to build a hydrogen bomb, you would have. And he's like, I did my duty and, like, yells. But then that's it. It doesn't... There's no reaction to it. There's no payoff to it. There's no nothing in the aftermath of it. And like, does it yeah. matter if he has a security clearance? I don't know.
0: Like maybe we're just ultimate this is what I've been trying to ultimately get at the whole time. When I think about the scene where like the room's shaking or the moment where Gene is having sex with Oppenheimer in front of Kitty, like all those scenes like could work in a movie with a different visual language. Like there's something like haunting and weird and gross about like Kitty sitting there watching his husband have sex with this other woman. Like that to me, like, that's a cool scene. Like that could have like so much power and have like a ton in cheek nature or give the movie a little bit of sleaze, you know? But like, that's not really the tone of the movie. That's not, we don't see that happen multiple times. It isn't like a constant or anything. It's just a random thing thrown into a largely stalely filmed film. I I just like I I'm looking for something a little bit more from him. And and in this sense, like I'm I it's why I feel so removed and confused about Nolan Fandom is like I I I wonder where it is in a visual sense. Maybe it really has nothing to do with the visuals. Like maybe people are just fascinated by all of the ideas explored in a Nolan film, which I agree, like there are a lot of things to talk about ideologically from any Nolan movie but I guess I feel that way about like every movie (laughs) like (laughs) I feel like every movie offers like all these questions we could ask ourselves and I've never I need the visual element to guide me and like fascinate me about those questions in a way I'm just not getting uh so in that sense I just like you know I I've just never really got it no and
1: you mentioned how interesting the the kitty moment could have been what's hilarious to me is that they have that moment at that time and she's kind of angry with him Mm -hmm. because he's talking about what happened with gene and when he goes over he's like are you mad we discussed this yeah like a decade ago (laughs) and it's like yeah wait is that i mean maybe that's accurate maybe it's in the transcripts and you know, that's part of the story. She was still hurt about it, but it's also such a strange thing because we know so little about Kitty because Nolan is really bad with female characters in general. Um, And that's not to say like every movie needs to explore both genders equally, uh, but Nolan specifically throughout his filmography has had a lot of criticisms about the way in which female characters aren't often developed Mm -hmm. and are typically just kind of there yeah and this movie in particular it's horribly bad like we don't learn anything about gene tatlock aside from her not wanting to date oppenheimer but also missing him and then taking her life because she was so broken up about him so fine it's from oppenheimer's perspective you know Mm -hmm. we're not going to know a lot about her but we also didn't really get a lot from how much he cared about gene to the point where he goes and has the mental breakdown that he has and even his like breakdown which is supposed to be this low point for him lasts what 30 seconds 45 seconds get back to making that bomb yeah and then you have kitty come back and Kitty, it seemed at one point, was going through postpartum depression or at least just struggling with being a new mom and her husband gone all the time. So we see her go from this kind of bubbly sociolite to... And I know she was supposed to be this very smart person who just ended up not necessarily having a career but obviously was intelligent enough to be a partner to Oppenheimer Um, but we don't see what's plaguing her when she's having her drinking issues and they give up their kid for a little bit Mm. like that's a huge thing And yet we never hear her reason for it, if she's okay with it, if she's better in the aftermath of it. And then they get their kids back, and we don't really know if she's okay with it, upset with it. When she's in Los Alamos, we don't really know anything about her day-to-day. Is she making friends? Is she still, like, postpartum? Is she depressed for other reasons? When she finds out about Kitty, is she angry with him, supportive of him? Does she just hold it in because she's doing something because he knows she knows how big of a job he's undertaking and doesn't want to put extra pressure on him. And then she's resentful later. Like what's the deal with their relationship? The movie just never gets into it. And then gives her this moment where she tears apart the prosecutor at the hearing. And that's supposed, that's the thing I was talking about with Nolan having these wins or these pops He sets that up where you have the one character be like can we trust her to go in there and be okay and Oppenheimer's like yeah of course like I have full faith in her so you have this question set up of like is she gonna do good is she gonna do bad and she's a little nervous at the beginning and it seems like oh no she's gonna do bad and then she finds her like footing and tears the guy apart and we see her rise to the occasion and it's this moment of like oh look she's beating the bad guy back and she had told him to stand up for himself but he had it and now she is that's her win but who the hell is, like is she as a character and what's this mean for her and like was she getting a lot of shit from other people and that's why she wanted him to fight was she reading a lot of negative press is it just a pride thing has she been this prideful the whole time there's so much unexplored that would go into making that moment truly great But instead, it's superficial and only feels good because of the structure around it, not because of the characters and us caring about the characters and rooting for the characters and what this moment means for them.
0: Yeah, that's like a classic Nolan thing to do, like those little wins. Like he does it, I feel like he does it several times in this movie. Like uh, Oppenheimer is like such an asshole to Hill. (laughs) Both times he sees him, he like knocks a pin out of his hand. (laughs) Yeah. And and in the end, you think like, oh, Hill's going to gonna say bad things about oppenheimer no he saves oppenheimer it's just like every time i see something like that in the movie i'm like okay (laughs) um or what was the what was the other one the Um, aid yeah there's the aid and there's just somebody i guess kitty is the other big one but I, i i agree with you that if you're gonna set up these big moments like there needs to be more foundation for it i don't necessarily need everything you were talking about like the way they're exploring Kitty. Um, I I actually think everything Nolan does is just fine. Uh, like the little snippets he's given us of her and their relationship, like that clues me in enough to like what the nature of their relationship is that like I get the impact the moment has like that. For me, the problem is going back to it the way all of this is presented visually. Like I just like, like the scene where Kitty is suddenly an alcoholic which side note? I every time Kitty was on screen in this movie and had a drink in her hand, I just like started laughing. I thought it was <laughs> so funny that that was like the only quirk he could give this woman is like she's always drunk. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I, I, like that. But that scene where he comes home and like she's drinking and like that is the impetus of like her her drinking, ostensibly that like she can't handle this life. I. I I relate that to like these other moments in the movie I've talked about where like she sees uh Jean and Oppenheimer having sex. Like it has no presence. Like it's not traumatic enough for me. Like it feels like I'm just watching a theater scene from afar. Like if all of those moments had more impact and were pulling me in a little bit more, like I might actually like feel something in that moment where Kitty gives it to the prosecutor at the end of the movie. Um, but like because all of those elements aren't there this is like the Chris and Travis approach you're combining the one like you're looking for like all of the background and and character work and like you you need it the movie to dive into like the person in a way and i need the the movie to like present her present her situation in a visual sense to like b- bring some like emotional clarity to everything and just like a sonic way yet both of these things are happening and because of that like i don't know how a moment like this lands at all
1: just because of the setup and the yes. superficial nature of him setting up the idea of uh will she or won't she yes. and that's enough <laughs> for the audience reaction and because Emily Blunt does a really good job in the time she has on screen and the delivery there is so good it's like if you were just to show someone that speech out of context they'd probably be like that's cool like I'm sure it's earned and awesome when you watch the movie and it's like no it's not but (laughs) it's the same thing with the aid the aid had it shown had had almost zero personality and zero context uh, had he worked with Strauss before is he just with him for this process that seems to be the case okay does he like Strauss does he dislike Strauss he's doesn't care either way does he like Oppenheimer does he not like we don't need to know these things but when the character at the end is the one <laughs> delivering this snarky line yeah. uh, that's kind of pro he defends Oppenheimer one time and then at the end is like maybe they were talking about something more important than you yeah and you're like, why,
0: why? <laughs> how do you feel this way after like, after no time at all, basically?
1: Right, it, was it just this guy was such a dick in the 24 hour, or the 10 hours that you knew him, that you feel like gloating like this? Are you just a dick? And this is how you?
0: That was talk- the other
1: thing. Like, did you grow up an Oppenheimer fan? Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like the whole thing with Robert Deering Jr., I think that was the other thing I was starting to think of, like the turn he has. It's revealed that like the aide is pissed and feels slighted because like Robert Downey Jr. knew the whole time. Like he's been one step ahead of this guy. So the whole time, Robert Downey Jr. has just been like playing dumb for no reason at all. Like just pretending he doesn't know the answers to things. and is acting stressed about something he doesn't need to be stressed about because he's already like talked to the writer of Time magazine. Like what is the point of all of his actions? leading up to this moment other than to just have a character turn and to suddenly present him as a different guy and to have this aide look at him differently like it just feels so dumb
1: yeah I it's one of those things where I get if he was acting like a little different in public maybe it's the it's the DC game where you always have to be presenting yourself one way just because you don't know who the aide's gonna talk to but so. if that's if that's the case should it that context be there. I think I think that's one of my issues with Nolan too is that I feel like he's often reliant on and it's a big complaint I have in about movies in general. I've talked about it with Argo, not on the podcast, but Argo the main guy is this government guy. Is he CIA? Is he FBI? He's some agent and he has to go and save um, American citizens that are stuck over, uh, I forget what country in the middle, Afghanistan in the or Iran or Iraq in the 70s or 80s mm-hmm. and has to go over there, like coach them. But his personal story involves always being away from his family and he wants to spend more time with his son and he keeps like talking about how he misses his son and wants to get back to his family and maybe he'll retire after this. His son, who's the core emotional driver for this character, is in 53 seconds of the movie.
0: Mm -hmm. I've counted,
1: 53 seconds of the movie, or 43. I think it's less than 45 seconds. (laughs) They have one phone call, and the movie ends with him returning home and we're supposed to feel excitement that he's now going to get to spend time with his family, <laughs> and it's like you're relying on the fact that audiences just care in general about people being able to spend time with their family. Like we don't necessarily care about this guy's relationship with his kids. Spend
0: time with my family,
1: <laughs> you're right? Oh, what a horrible thing! I wish that for <laughs> no one. Uh, it's just the generic emotion that they're counting on us having rather than this earned reunion between these two characters and I feel like that's something that Nolan often relies on is the generic emotion rather than the earned thing so it's like Hill and everything with Hill like coming in and delivering that and like see he's actually good like (laughs) did Hill earn that? Did Where did he get the information? Strauss being like this evil of a person. Did he earn that? I guess so, maybe. But we only really find out that he's this evil person in like 30 seconds of backstory. Mm -hmm. So now he's the villain of the movie in some ways. But do we really care? It's just a generic villain.
0: Yeah. If there's one thing I know about Chris, I want to explore this for one second. Like, Movies are all about math. And our Ar- Argo has a 45 second scene. Like that's not enough. I, I- I'm with you though. Like the- and I think that does kind of encapsulate what's wrong with something like Oppenheimer is like that, that 45 seconds in Argo. If that scene was done really, really well, I'd buy it. I'd be game. Like, I, I think that would be enough foundation for me for it f- to be like the, the thrust and crux of the movie. Like I would be invested it isn't done that well. I hate Harco. Um, <laughs> and none of the scenes at Oppenheimer are done that well. Like We've talked about so many of the scenes that are supposed to have this monumentous uh, impact. Is it momentous? Is monumentous even a word? Monumentous momentous. is not a word. It's I'm, I'm going to make it a word.
1: Yeah, it's an impressive like, monumental. Fission, fission of momentous and monumental and fusion of them.
0: You Absolutely. divided them and then you combined them. See, I gave more meaning to those words that Oppenheimer ever did
1: <laughs> it's true that's it's factual.
0: just it's never there like it's just I don't know now we're just like two guys complaining about things we don't like about it. like everyone seems to like it and that's great I I've just never been in that camp
1: no and I do get the appeal in terms of it is something you don't see depicted on screen a lot uh, you are getting great performances there are visuals that are there. (laughs) I mean, the visuals exist. Uh, I saw the movie. They're there. It feels different than your standard movie. And it's a little, I would say Mm -hmm. that Nolan's more competent than your average filmmaker. For sure. And given that, and the fact that he does have such like a style about him, that you don't get from other filmmakers i get why there's an appeal there's a a taste factor there that resonates with people
0: i get why people like it i just don't it that that is the big thing that sets him apart and i don't even it's intangible like i don't even know how to define it but every shot in his movie feels important like you are wandering into like what a situation you get to be a part of right here. You know, like, have you ever seen anything like this? Even if it's just two dudes talking in a classroom, you know, like his movie always has that tenor, but to me, like that's not an aesthetic. Like in my mind, like that doesn't, that doesn't mean anything to me, especially if it's not grabbing me in the first place. If there's not some visual language to the movie, that's like pointing towards something greater, like, it every all of those important shots just like kind of begin to cancel each other out you know and i i've just never been able to like look at movies the same way as everyone else seems to look at his movies
1: yeah i think it's just that factor of because there's that sense of importance you come away with feeling like you experience something and i mean often he's taking
0: on interesting subject matter and. Yeah, and people probably do feel things. Like it's just, it's purely a matter of taste and like what what moves you in a movie. Yeah, and it's just not what I want. Yeah. So that's that, deal with it. Yeah, Barbenheimer (laughs) concluded. (laughs) All right, Chris, I have a twist I'd like to present this episode. Yeah. I would like to rank this movie.
1: Oh, okay. Even though you just got rid of your rankings.
0: <laughs> but I'm bringing them back. Okay, just for this. No, I'm bringing them back all together. What? Okay. I'm doing it. I want to Perfect. keep it a thing. Okay. Uh, I ha- Although I do have to update my list a little bit. Right now it's at 421 movies. I think it's probably up to like 430 by now. Damn. Um, all right. And th- this list, by the way, is we- we've been ranking every movie we've watched since the start of twenty twenty two. And so every time we do an episode, we're going to put the movie we watched into those rankings. Yes. So what do you got? For 420 movies, um, and there are ten different sections for me, and the fourth to lowest section is the not for me section. That's where Oppenheimer belongs in my mind. Like, I don't think it's terrible. Like it's doing things I don't like. And that's more of what it is in my book. Like I it's just not grabbing me in the way I need a movie to grab me. Um but I don't think it's bad. So I have it like on the higher end of this this section of the ranking. So it's in like the 375 region out of four hundred and thirty. Okay. So low but not not as low as it goes.
1: Not yeah, not down at the the bottom. I this is gonna be a bit of whiplash for as much as I like trashed this movie uh, throughout the podcast. I have it at number 64
0: of 146. <laughs> Do you not like a lot of movies?
1: <laughs> I, it's more so that I have complaints about this, but like my my categories go like really not for me, not for me, not quite almost neutral and positives. And the positives of oppenheimer from the performances to the fact that there are it is covering such like a huge story mm-hmm. and has so many like pieces and parts i do still really like scope and scale so there's still a respect factor that i have for the undertaking of this movie to where as much as I want to tear it down a little bit, I still think overall that the positives outweigh the negatives, in my opinion. Um, and the positives or, would be? Just the performances, like yeah. c- capturing something that's like telling a story that's this momentous and kind of looking at the beginning, middle and end of it and going through this guy's life and how his life was so strongly the story of this weapons creation. Yeah. Um, and then all the stuff with uh, the bug. Uh, oh my God. Why do I keep not saying that? Right. Uh,
0: Sounds like you're trying to say the Babadook.
1: I know with uh, the, now I've become deaf destroyer of world yeah, speech. Yeah. And like the duty and the theme of that is fascinating enough to me. Um that I would still rank it over some of the things that I may have liked more I would have had less complaints about but I feel like they had lower ceilings so this is mm-hmm. mostly just because it's going for so much it scores a few more points for me okay and where is it on your 2023 rankings uh, 2023 rankings it is at number 13 of 30 okay so like you know all time i have it above the whale and insomnia and you hurt my feelings okay it's like and then it's just below dead reckoning part one fast and furious six and the super mario brothers movie <laughs> so it's like i i'm still putting the super mario brothers movie over oppenheimer and blackberry over oppenheimer but when i'm comparing oppenheimer to like air and cocaine bear
0: um <laughs> it's doing a little bit more. Wow. I, I am truly surprised by this. I uh because it sounds like you you hated it a lot more than I did, but you have it at 13 out of 30. <laughs> I have it at 21 out of 25.
1: Yeah. I mean because at the bottom of my list it's like white men can't jump, asteroid city, the flash, Transformers, Rise of the Beasts. 65 you people ant-man and the wasp quantum mania like those to me are movies that have very little in the way of redeeming qualities mm. <laughs> where as much as i have complaints about oppenheimer there are still like redeeming qualities to the movie i think
0: Hmm. yeah okay fair enough yeah so b- <laughs> mine's for the fifth from the bottom though yeah what do you have at the very bottom uh past that it's white men can't jump then you people then the pale blue eye then uh, I'm kind of scared to say the last one because I think you liked it everyone likes it I, I mean that's it's no surprise my bottom ranked movie is Dungeons and Dragons
1: oh yeah I forgot to rank Dungeons and Dragons was that 20- ah. that was 2022 wasn't it I believe it came out this year oh my god yeah, 2023. Yeah, um, I liked it. I get it, though.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, I think Everyone's I would... people really seem to love that movie in a way that I'm. Always, I always kind of shy away from saying like I hated it. <laughs> I had no fun watching it. I would
1: put. I thought you would like it. Um, no. Like uh, Dungeons and Dragons would be
0: number 16 for me. Oh wow, below Oppenheimer. Yeah. <laughs> I don't get you, Chris. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, below Oppenheimer. Alright. Um, scope and scale, Travis. Scope and scale. Sure, sure, yeah. Um Yeah. I think I like Dungeons and Dragons more than cocaine bear.
0: We'll see. <laughs> it's the eternal question.
1: <laughs> it's something everybody wrestles with at some point in their yeah, lives. We all know when we have that moment. Dungeons and Dragons or Cocaine Bear? What a job.
0: Okay. Is that it? All right. So this has been the suspense of the whole Barbenheimer special here. Like, which one did you like better? Barbie. Barbie. It's not even close. (laughs) It really isn't that close.
1: It's very, very much not close in any way, shape, or form. And we
0: agreed that Barbie isn't, like, a perfect movie or anything. Like, it has flaws, but, like... It is a little bit night and day. Yeah.
1: I'm actually trying to decide if I put Barbie over across the Spider-Verse. Oh, wow. I think I'm going to end up doing that.
0: Nice. I I mean, I haven't seen Across the Spider-Verse, but I would assume I'd do that. Yeah. Okay.
1: Well, then Vanilla Sky next time?
0: Yeah, let's talk about Vanilla Sky. Okay, beautiful. That <laughs> one,
1: I feel like we're going to have
0: uh, some disagreements a movie- on disagreements. Okay. I I have I have very much fun of that movie. Of course. <laughs> I I I remember enjoying it. I got to watch it again though. Okay.
1: Well then, until next time. Bye-bye.